from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Dublin, Ireland. You're listening to the award-winning What's the Story podcast. Now, here's your hosts, Danny Murray and Graham Merrow Merrigan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Chapter 70 of What's the Story podcast. My name is Danny Murray. Graham Merrow Merrigan joins me with his hat. It's into the hat season. It's into the hat season. I never take it off, man. Oh, it looks it's great. It's like a little tea cosy. It is. It is a little tea cosy. Yeah. It wouldn't look too uh, displaced if it was over a teapot. No, it wouldn't. I left it in Padjo's there last week and nearly had a heart attack. I'd say he was wearing it everywhere. Yeah, wearing it where, though? <laughs> <laughs> League of Ireland legend Padjo Flynn, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, our guest this week actually is a fan of League of Ireland, um, amongst other things, including... <laughs> The brilliant come here to me blog um, he wrote books that's how you say them books, books. <laughs> um, a stubbling for books exactly <laughs> that's all we said books yeah um, the pillar the life and afterlife of Nelson's pillar um, what was blown up mm. oh well Nelson that's, that's exactly what it sounded like yeah <laughs> I went into the archives to get that sound effect yeah. and pull it <laughs> Donald Fallon, how are you? It's nice to be here. It's nice to be here. Thanks for joining us. It's been golden jubilee 50 years since Nelson went. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. The time before YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and nobody there to Snapchat it. Nobody no. Because no. <laughs> that's exactly what would happen nowadays, isn't it? If yeah. something like that happened, be straight away mobile phone on the Snapchat. You and capture it, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Which I'm glad that phones weren't around, possibly. Yeah. To capture that. Yeah, there's always that kind of question mark, isn't there? That whole kind I of think like phones ruin things in in that context. I tell you what, really, really, really ruins things. Uh, iPads, oh. especially if you're at a concert and somebody takes out an iPad in front of you and starts taking photos. I'm like, oh, it's, like it's yeah. bad on it's bad on a phone, but to do that on an iPad, that takes commitment because you have to pack that thing, you have to bring it with you. We were out um, um, Paul Howard's book launch last week. Yeah. Uh, I heard the news today. I oh heard boy! The news today, oh in boy. all good bookshops and some rubbish ones too. And um, there was plenty of people taking photos with Paul with iPads. Yeah, there actually was. Yeah, there was. I was like, what um, are you doing? I'd rather yeah. a disposable camera than an iPad yeah. photo taking a photo. Oh, disposable camera to click and then yeah. wind you bring to the chemist. You wait about seven weeks to get them <laughs> <Yeah>. back. <laughs> Jesus. Um, somewhere that's not quite cel- celebrating a jubilee, but is celebrating 45 years, is the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick Castle Hotel, who put a roof over our heads and look after us. Great people. Graham, I, I was in the dungeon, the grill in the dungeon, the restaurant here, that right. we, we haven't plugged ever on this <laughs> podcast. And I had three courses for the low, low price of 25 95 No way, it was nice. It was delish. Which have? I had a steak. Really? And I had a soup starter, because I'm a big believer in soups. That was carrot and coriander, which is my favourite. Right, and then I had a steak, and I had eaten mess. Lovely. That's what you have every week. <laughs> Eat mess, all the time. <laughs> 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 but yeah, Fitzpatrick Castle, it's coming up to the festive period, lads. So don't be afraid to wander up the hill, take in the splendid views of Kalani, and uh, check out the grill at the Dungeon Bar. And don't forget, maybe, you know, treat herself, treat himself, treat whoever. Bring them along, have a meal, have a pint in the library bar. Sensational. Graham. Yes. It's time for something I like to call housekeeping. Boom, boom, boom. We're going to have to work on a jingle, I think. Yeah, yeah. we're going to have to. Yeah, we're going to have to actually work on a what proper jingle for what's this. What's on the agenda this week? Um, 
I we every week we talk about stuff that we've watched, and this week I watched two Netflix originals. I watched Mascots, which is absolute dog toffee. <laughs> it was awful. I watched the trailer for that and thought this is gonna be great because it has Chris O'Dowd in it. I seen Chris O'Dowd and Graham Norton last week, and he was plugging the shit out of it, and I thought it was gonna be good. Yeah, because I like Chris O'Dowd. I think he's a funny bloke, and I had um, you know, your one the big tall blonde one who's in like Glee and. Um, role models and Jane something I think her name is but oh I know her yeah you'd you know her she's yeah. in all those the teacher in Glee yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's me saying I'd never watch Glee <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know exactly what she is <laughs> but uh, she's in it and um, Phil from Modern Family his da oh. yeah no it's not Phil himself I'm gonna say Phil I'm brutal with <laughs> names of actors but I know what they're in do you know what yeah, I mean yeah I so, know Phil's da he's hilarious yeah, so I thought, right, this, I'm onto a winner here. This guy, and it's about mascots and like a competition to see who's the best mascot. It's just childish enough to go right down my alley. Was woeful. Was it, is it a series or just a show? No, it's a film. Oh, it's a film? Yeah, it's about an hour and a half long, and it's an hour and a half of your life you're never going to get back. I'm going to watch it. Don't. Well, it's gonna ruin your day if you do. I've, I've, I'm on a good streak with Netflix originals. I've yeah. never watched a bad Netflix original. Yeah. I've given full marks for every Netflix original I've watched. That, that's a ringing endorsement, man. Yeah, the Mandam Knox thing was probably about 9 out of 10. That's still, that's still solid, like. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you were watching nothing but 9 out of 10s, like. On Netflix, don't they release everything at once? They release a whole series. Yeah, well. Yeah. That's incredibly dangerous. Mo- someone, most of the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, is, there is the odd one that they've kind of. I think Better Call Saul originally did one week by week or something. But I think so, yeah. But, um, yeah, they, they are the kings of binge watching. Um, is you, Better Call Saul a Netflix original? Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. They bought it. All right. Didn't know that. Um, I'm 99.999999999999% certain that it's an original. Something that definitely is an original is Siege of Jadaville. Jadaville. Jadaville is brilliant. Unbelievable. Have you heard of that one, Donald? The film that just came out? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard Yeah, I've heard. Conor Cruz O'Brien comes off very bad in it, which it's about time he came off bad in something. He does. He comes off very It's definitely something I want to go and see. I saw one that was walking down College Street and there were loads of men of a certain age wearing berets and I figured there must be something about the army on here today. I think it was the premiere of the film. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I will check it out. It's a Netflix original as well. Brilliant. So I just went straight to Netflix. Yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I would recommend anybody having a gander at that. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Have you watched that? What are no, I've been watching um, a sitcom on Channel 4. I think it's called Damned. Damned. I've heard of it. I've not watched Is any it of it Damned? at all, though. Yeah, I think it's called Damned. It's with Alan Davis, Alan Davies, and yeah. Joe Brand. I can't take the Alan Davies. I can't I take him, but he's funny in this. I couldn't warm up to him with a bit of board gas, radiators, and everything, man. I just Nick Hancock's in this as well, from the Think It's All Over. I thought he was dead. No. He's in it. He plays Joe so Brand. He. <laughs> yeah, he's in Joe Brand. He's Joe Brand's husband in it. Right, and they're all, all the adults in it are working in a, with for the South, the British social services. Right, right. And it's a comedy, and so meeting different types of families and. Okay. It's, it's twenty minutes. It's fun. Well, I, I might give it a. Look. I don't. Yeah, like you get it on the babies. player if you have Sky. Um, have you do, do you watch many documentaries around and down on? I don't really know, no. and I should watch more. I uh, yeah. really what I'm a, a kind of addicted to, and I don't know why I watch all their stuff. Is Vice, you know, Vice? Yeah, on YouTube, their documentaries yeah. are quite good. But they have an obsession with a few things. North Korea. Yeah, I've watched enough documentaries about North Korea. Man, oh, North Korea. We are obsessed. The most North secretive Korea. country in the world, and we yeah. know everything about it from every it's angle, amazing. backwards and forwards. We do you believe it? it? Uh, do I believe what I hear about it? Yeah. Um, 
I don't think it's a worker's paradise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's about as far removed from a worker's paradise as anything could be, probably. Yeah. But uh, I, I'd, I'd love to go. It's very difficult to get in, especially if you've, well, that's, like, you wouldn't get in if you've done any kind of journalism. Well, that's, we that's had a barrier. A, we we had did a, a special guy, on our yeah, We had a guy called Paul Fisher on who wrote a book um, about Kim Jong-il kidnapping um, two South Korean actors and bringing them to North Korea to make a North Korean film industry. Oh, yeah. Um, this was shown, wasn't it, a while ago in the IFI? There, I think there was something made yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. But a guy called Paul Fisher wrote a book about it. Um, Kim Jong-il, and I can't remember the full I name of it. I'll, I'll put it up on the on the Twitter or whatever anyway. But um, we had him on the podcast talking about it. And he's gone to North Korea twice. To do research for the book. And he was saying that, like, it's actually not that bad. He said, like, there, there are barriers to get in. But if you get to Russia or you get to China, you'll get there. He's mm. like, if you get that far, you'll get there. And uh, he was saying that, like, there's gift shops. Mm. And you can buy, like, I Heart Pong Yang, like, fridge magnets and tea, like, I Heart NY. Like, do you know what I mean? God, but there's insane, story man. kind of story books in it, and it's just all about the dear leader. The dear leader. <laughs> it's mental. And he was and like, if you get a version from, like, 1989 and then get the version from, like, 1994, they've updated it. And the stories become more embellished and more amazing. And instead of a double rainbow, it's a triple rainbow. And it's, it's a amazing, monarchy, like. you know, to all extents and purposes. It's a monarchy. It's yeah, a hereditary yeah. ruled country. And it's incredible. I mean, there's nothing socialist about it in any way. No, but it's, not at all. It's somewhere that I'd, um, I'd be very curious to see. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I would recommend um, the, people who are listening to check out The that Dennis podcast. Rodman documentary on it's good as well. Have you heard about that one? Yeah, I think Rodman had a bit of guilt when he came back, though. <laughs> I think, I think so. It yeah. went straight into rehab. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Matt Cooper narrates it. It's a really mm. good documentary. Can't for the life of me remember the name of it. Yeah. But I remember watching it and it was excellent. There is a KFA, there's a Korean Friendship Association in Ireland. What? <laughs> I don't know how many of them have been to North Korea to see what they're supporting. <laughs> but there is a North Korean Friendship Society in Ireland if anyone, no wants, way. If anyone did, wants to join it. Did I hear some town in Kerry or some town in Ireland wanted to do you know the way they do Twin Cities? Yes. They wanted to twin <laughs> with Pyongyang. Did I imagine that? Or I'm almost That's true. I no, I yeah. can't remember the specifics, but I remember that in recent Actually, weeks. I don't even think it was, Kerry. I think it was like Blanchardstown or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. That'd be that. hilarious. I need to, I, Google it. Tweet us uh, if you find it. I'm not going to Google it now. Uh, but, like, that, there was definitely something recently where they were like, yeah, we should extend an olive branch, a hand of friendship or whatever. And they were like, let's twin see. Like, can you imagine a bunch of lads in the Blanche heading? <laughs> <laughs> <Pizzi Carol. laughs> can you imagine PT? PT, if you're listening, let us know what you'd bring us back from North Korea. Yeah. Good man. <laughs> but they're the voice documentaries, that's what you I just think they're brilliant because they tend yeah. to be about 15 minutes long. Uh, I watched one last week on a, a Mexican guy who uh, is the front man of a Smith's tribute band called the Sweet and Tender Hooligans. It was the Mexican Morrissey and he styled himself like Morrissey and he's just obsessed. So they followed him. They followed him around Los Angeles for a few days. It was brilliant. Only Vice would do something as mad as that, you know. Yeah, yeah. They followed but your man around? They followed this, like, fake uh, Morrissey. Morrissey around Los Angeles, which was just incredible. That was bananas. <laughs> and they do, they do mad things. They just do absolutely mad documentaries. Uh, but they do do a little bit too much on, on, on North Korea. I think they probably need an editorial break. I've never heard of these documentaries. <laughs> Vice. Have you not? Yeah. Oh, no, I've never heard of Vice. Murdoch, I think Murdoch bought Vice out in the end. It began as a kind of uh, Canadian kind of hipster newspaper. And in time, it became, like, an online... Just a massive online web presence. Kind of like um, the Huffington Post. Yeah, and one of the things they do are these, these great little YouTube documentaries of kind of 15, 20 minutes, which is, I think, the perfect amount of time, you know, if yeah. you have 
a little bit of time to kill 20 minute documentaries are just perfect yeah. and Rupert Murdoch did you say is that I think Murdoch bought for out oh, in the end uh, as he buys yeah. out everything intense here doesn't he oh boy also dope <laughs> Speak for yourself. If the money's right, get us a Brian about this instead. If the money's right, I'm gone. No, neither of those shower. Neither of those shower. If Uncle Dennis came to us with a checkbook open and was like, "Lads, do you need a few bob?" You'd be. What do you think I'd say? I think you'd be out there saying, "Do you need water meters?" And looked after Dennis. No, I have integrity. <laughs> I wouldn't go near the man. Stop out that. Just stop. I don't watch a lot of Irish television. Is that love? Nah, that is. It's. Yeah, there, there isn't a whole lot going on there. Our friends have tried to get money through the broadcasting authority of Ireland, and it's yeah. heard it's a disaster. Look at what they do fund. I mean, there was a a TV program where Vogue Williams. I watched drugs. them. I mean, why yeah. fund that? Who does that benefit in any way? Shape, um, fund? And they funded her to <clears throat> check out swingers parties in Limerick in a warehouse in an industrial park. Yeah, like, I would have done that for free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so would I. <laughs> sure, look, sure I'm in them. So <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it what does good TV here is TG4 or TG Car not TG4 TG Car they yeah. do great stuff you know? in fairness um, to them they do like I don't speak Irish so if the subtitles aren't working I'm goosed like. yeah. but yeah. Uh, in fairness to them they do and when we had Angus Og, we had Angus Og back in Alley in a couple of weeks ago and as you were talking to him about the thing they done on his father mm. absolutely brilliant yeah it was the Lergus mm. documentaries are great mm. but that's yeah. on RT1 yeah, and occasionally they have uh, live rugby on as well. They commentate in Irish, so I turn the sound off, but it's still great to watch live yeah, rugby. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy out. Do you speak Irish, Donald? I went to a Wales school, so the answer should be yes and fluently, but it's so long ago yeah. that in time I've kind of lost it. Yeah. Conor McGregor was in the same school above me. Uh, really? Yeah, and his Irish is definitely gone. Yeah. yeah. I remember in an interview a few weeks, a few months ago, someone said, I'll oh, say something in Irish, and the Americans just want to hear it. He said, like, oh, Pogma, and that was kind of all he could yeah, say yeah. now. He, he so. was also asked at a con- press conference last May in the Dublin uh, the Convention Centre, and he was speaking Irish. He was okay, speaking so quite he, fluently. Okay, so he still has it. Yeah, TG Carr got a, a creden- credentials yeah. a credentials to uh, a Q&A with him, and it was just a... It was just quick questions and answers, and they spoke. He spoke Irish. So Great. She 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 asked the question in Irish, and he gave it to her in Irish. But he did admit it's a bit rusty. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm always amazed. Like if you get into talking to people uh, for a little while in Irish, it does it'll come back to you. It's really? all it's all there somewhere. But uh, I wish I used it more. So Tom Egan would have been in the year above you as well. Is that right? In Kushliffa, yeah, yeah because it was a great school. It was a really close knit school. He because um, he keeps it up. Yeah, uh, Connor's buddy cut Tom. Well, look, if you go into like the Connor in town, which is a great little bar, oh, yeah. and open to all hours, uh, <laughs> you can yeah. you can speak Irish there. And of course, we've had a couple of points. Everyone can speak Irish. Yeah, but it's it's uh, it's something that I should definitely use a lot more. There's a great spot um, in Monkstown, Caldas, Kiltory. Caldas, yeah, 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 great spot. Bernard and lads down there put on a good show. So yeah, I'm still not gonna learn Irish though. But <laughs> I'd love to. No, I just yeah. I think I'd be more inclined to pick up Latin myself. Latin? Yeah. To say a mass? No, just... <laughs> if I'm going to have one useless language, I might as well have the ultimate. <laughs> I'm antagonising deliberately here. Look look at him, look at him. He's going to get aggro now. Yeah, go on. <laughs> um, yeah, the... What, what was the other thing I watched? <coughs> no, I said that. See, it's just Haddowville. Yeah, that's the, I tracked I love the way you're, you're quickly saying it because you don't know how... To pronounce Pronoun- it properly. Yeah, it's either Siege or Jadavid. Yeah, Siege or Jadavid. 
It's what is it? J A T. You spelled it wrong to me oh, in the text. I did, yeah, and then I checked him. And ah, he's not going. But you didn't pull me up on that until now. You obviously waited. No, because I'm not an antagonist. The last yeah. documentary I watched was Mattress Mick. Oh, mattress Man, yeah. Mattress Man, not Mattress Mick. I mattress want to Man. see that. I wanted to watch that as uh, well. It's very moving, actually. It's not really about so Mattress Mick. So I heard. Mick. It's more about Paul, who works for them. Right. Because uh, Mattress Mick is one of those characters that you see around town all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, the billboards uh, and everything. And you actually don't learn a great deal about him, to be honest. Right. He doesn't tell you much, but in terms of Paul that works for them, it's a very human story, a very sad kind of story. You yeah. Know? But it's uh, definitely worth going to see. That's what you love, though, isn't it, Donald? Yeah, well, you yeah, love, yeah. You love the characters in town and you love the yeah, human well, stories and I stuff. I think it's like a, a a snapshot of, like, those small businesses won't be there forever. You know, yeah. the Ikea will be where Mattress Mick is <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the future. So these kind of little independent business people are really fascinating characters. And uh, Mattress Mick just became a massive figure through... What, like funny YouTube videos and... Trying to sell his mattresses. Just being a larger-than-life kind of character. And uh, he's like the Hector Gray of like modern Dublin. You know, he's this great yeah. street character as much as anything. You know that Facebook page, Humans of Dublin? Yeah. Snap yeah. people. And yeah. The, yeah. I remember they photographed Mick and he told some really sad story about... Uh, That's right, I remember that, yeah. I remember it, thinking, it was like a lost love or something I like that. I remember thinking, wow. Yeah. You know, I never thought of this as a serious person. Yeah. This was like a character. I was like, God, he's actually a, a bloke. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Actually, I remember that exact post. It was something along the lines of a, a, a girl who who we met many, many, many moons ago, and they had great feelings for each other. But whatever that didn't happen, and then it turned out she passed away, or she had rang him from like yeah, just before she died, something like that. Said I always had such feelings for you, and yeah. Jesus. I never forgot you. But it was, I think you're, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head, and you said because I always had this image of him as this almost cartoonish bloke, yeah. like, gentlemen, because mattress make the character like. But then you're reading this story and all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I can't laugh at him anymore. Do you know, do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want to hug him now. Yeah. This kind <laughs> yeah. of almost tangible, emotional kind of like, he just needs a good embrace. He and looks just, like you know? the old music promoter from town, Aiden Mulch, is it? Do you know him? <laughs> he does a bit, yeah. Doesn't actually, he? It's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah, Aiden Who Mulch. Who rode into uh, Virgin Records on a horse. On, on the back of a horse. The kind of stunt that Mattress Mick should maybe try and replicate. Because when I first... Ikea and shit everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I seen um, Mattress Mick for the first time a couple of years ago and I had to take another look. I was like, is yeah. that Aiden Mulch? Yeah. Aiden, Aiden Mulch. Is he still going around Aiden Mulch? <laughs> I haven't seen him in a while, but I, I presume he is. He's another character though, isn't he? But everyone says, oh, Mattress Mick's a great character. Who buys their mattresses there? People will always go out to Ikea and get one cheaper or whatever. Yeah. So we do need to support these kind of eccentric characters when we have yeah. them. But that's something, like, Dublin in particular tends to produce these great characters, and it, and it's always, like you were saying, you're drawing a comparison of, of him to, to Aiden, and then you get this kind of moment of people will always go down a nostalgic road. Like, so you have this character, and then somebody will always, do you know who else was great? And they'll go into the history mode, like. Mm. So, yeah, could, yeah, like, yeah, one of the things great. you're going to capture in then is that whole kind of story behind things. Like, where do you yeah, think... Yeah, but I think there's a bit of romanticism in it. Like, I did a thing recently where we were interviewing people about uh, food. History yeah. of food in Dublin, where it comes from. You know, Stony Batter, it was Cowtown. And Presumably the Spice Bag was featured. Spice <laughs> Bag. Well, we talked, we interviewed kids about food. Yeah. Uh, inner city kids, 12 to 14 years old. We were like, what's your favourite food? Spice Bag, Spice Bag, Spice Bag. Great taste. Every one of them. Great Every taste. one of them said the Spice Bag. But we talked to older people. They said, oh, more street, the markets are more street. And I loved them. And then you say to them, where do you do your shopping? And they'd say, Aldi, Little. Yeah. And more street's still there. So people yeah. people have this romantic thing about these small businesses, but they don't they're use not, them. They don't use them. Yeah. Yeah. But that's because the recession isn't over. Yeah, and people true. are going to the Aldis and the Littles because they're trying to save a penny. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. our politicians, our businessmen might tell us, 
that the recession's over, but it's not. It's definitely not. It's one hundred percent. Still, not young over. people yeah. going in massive numbers. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, probably the same as myself. You know, more people now in in London and Berlin and yeah. Vancouver and wherever else. And you know, here like it's it hasn't slowed down at all. No, no it hasn't. No, not at, not all. at all. But yeah, that real nostalgic thing about old Dublin is always funny because yeah. I know it's a little bit more expensive, but you you could support these businesses today. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely you could, yeah. And as I say, sometimes it is worth that sort of extra two, three euro each time you go to to keep that going. At the end of the day, it's a community thing. Like, I mean, even recently, look at Ina Stores. Yeah. This local store down there, like, this is the place that's legend, right? And I'm not lying, this is a place famous for its corned beef and its coleslaw, right? Mm. And um, it's there donkey's years it's like, oh, he's like, I, like I can remember being the first shop I was allowed to go to by myself was Ina yeah like my man and dad would like if I said oh can I go shop you can go to Ina and that's it because I didn't have to cross a main road yeah, to get yeah, to yeah. it and all that kind of stuff it's just like a normal um, it's a normal shop in an estate yeah it was yeah. just a little convenience store but like but he he closed he, Tony retired to go here and uh, closed the doors and I'm just kind of thinking that's it that's the last local owned local run like everything like there's a centre yeah there's a, a an apple green yeah but there's no local, local there's nothing no. local anymore you know what I mean but yeah and they tend to do like local papers like penny sweets and things that they're not going to stock yeah, in a big you know? did they is it fair to say that the centres and the super values they're run by local families yeah sometimes they like are. the one in yeah, Docky yeah. is the Rushes yeah, look, they, they run the super value. And yeah, then the centrist that always has the name of the family on the side. Yeah, but ultimately they're part of the, the Musgraves monopoly yeah, conglomerate so. evil giant. <laughs> <laughs> six six mm. bottles of water on the table for three men, which is a lot more uh, generous than Newstock. So <laughs> <laughs> I commend that. Take that, Chris Donahue. Take that. Yeah. <laughs> there was a character in Dublin, uh, Donald, uh, the woman that was dancing all the time in O'Connell Street. Mad, well, they called her Mad Mary. Right. Uh, she's, yeah, she's a fascinating figure. She, and there was a, a particular photographer that we know on the blog really well called Wally Cassidy. Right. And uh, Wally would just walk around town and photograph protests, especially protests. Yeah. Got great pictures of like people burning an effigy of uh, Charles Hockey. <laughs> it's just a great image. Love it. Uh, he sometimes just stumbled on things. He got great images when, you know, the famous when England came here in 95 and there's mayhem in Lansdowne Road. Yeah, yeah, was that that much? Uh, five years before that, in 1990, there was mayhem as well. Mm. And he captured great images of kind of people. The English football fans wandered into a, a free Desi Ellis protest on O'Connell Street. In um, 1990? In 1990. <laughs> Desi Ellis now like a Sinn Féin TD. Yeah. We just kicked off and he was there. And uh, he got great pictures of her dancing. At, uh, where, well, the spire was there now. There was nothing there at the time. Mm. You know, besides like the, the floozy and the jacuzzi yeah. as it was back then. But uh, she was just a real fascinating character, you know. And she'd show up outside the gates of the dolls sometimes. And Do we know uh, who she was or what? Yeah, she... yeah. There's actually, I think there's a tribute page to her on, on Facebook. She only died in recent years. But uh, wow. just one of those people that people grew up looking at very rarely stopped there's a guy today who walks around town you probably see him all the time and he wears like slogans like a sandwich board but they're taped yeah. onto him yeah on both sides Is this he, a guy, they, they tend to be biblical kind of yeah, yeah and he wears headphones yeah and occasionally he, he'll take them out and just shout yeah get he, going again I, I tend to see him up around kind of clearly up that kind of part of town yeah um, what's the Coilmore Bakery yeah, Is that a, I've yeah, often seen him outside there, there. My, yeah. brother, my brother's a photographer and he's snapped him a few times but uh Again, he's someone that people will remember into the future. Just mm. these characters that kind of do the Stations of the Cross. You know, just walk around town <laughs> all day, cross, yeah. all day. And it, it's, it's mad. 
It's yeah. mad when you see them. You see them. I remember being a child and being in in town with my grandmother, and uh, I remember seeing that woman in the centre of O'Connell Street, and I remember used to used to be a nervous wreck. I used to be afraid that she'd do something or, yeah, yeah. but she was just singing or dancing or having the time of her life. Having, literally having the time of her life. But she was a very deeply religious person. Like you see her, on, I'm showing up on protests against things like divorce or abortion. Yeah, you know, yeah. She was always there. So she was very much... Uh, was she the full shilling though? Are any of these characters just the full shilling? Even thinking back, you know, people like Johnny yeah. Forty Coates and Bang Bang, Johnny these lovable characters. What was Johnny Forty Coates again? It was all in the name. He was yeah. literally yeah. a man who wandered around town. around town, just literally <laughs> wearing... of coats. Yeah. Really? And Bang Bang shooting the buses with his golden yeah. key. Yeah. You know, all these people, some of... Well, not all of them, but many of them were kind of eccentric, sometimes mad characters. You'd wonder what their families were or if they had any yeah. or... Because yeah. I remember um, years ago, I was wondering about that guy in O'Connell Street, uh, the photographer. And then about, I always remember, say, around 2000 or late or early 2000s, wondering where that guy had gone. Mm. And then only about four years ago, or 2 you released a documentary about him. Yeah. That photographer that just sat on O'Connell Street and just took photographs. Arthur of, Fields. That's him, Arthur the man Fields. The bridge. Yeah, yeah that oh, documentary man. is unbelievable. Yeah. And I always wondered what his background was. or And then this documentary showed you his background, that he was uh, an immigrant and he changed his name. And he just used to get up in the morning at 7, 8 a.m., go into O'Connell Street and go home at 7, 8 p.m. His own birthday, his kid's birthday, Christmas. He was just always constantly there. You know? Christenings, weddings, yeah. he didn't even he wanted to go quite to. Quite a sad story in the end. Yeah. But what's great about his collection of photos is that if you were... He would have photographed everyone from like visiting boxers to like the IRA chief of staff. If you walked over O'Connell Bridge, didn't matter if you were someone in the limelight or someone in the shadows, he probably got a picture of you. Yeah. And they're an amazing archive. And for me, they were useful because behind them, he took most of them of people coming over O'Connell Bridge. So Nelson's pillar was always behind people. Yeah. You know, where the spire would be now. So his photos were great. And they're great for fashion as well. Anyone that's into the history of fashion. Like, if you look at his photographs in the 40s, 50s, the 60s, you can see it's changing. What people are wearing yeah. is changing. So they, were, they did a beautiful book uh, yeah, out yeah. of that. And the team that worked on that documentary, El Zorro Films, are the same people that made the Mattress Mick documentary. Oh, so they really yeah. have it for kind of Dublin Yeah, they have that niche kind stuff, of, yeah. which is great. Arthur um, Fields. Arthur Fields. That is an unbelievable documentary. <clears throat> yeah, and if someone stood there now taking pictures of people, people give out to them. How dare you take a picture of me and my kids? How mm. dare you do this and that? At the time, people didn't have cameras in their pockets. So getting a picture taken was a real... Yeah, but the brilliance yeah. of that documentary as well was people that he photographed in the 40s, 50s and 60s were then being interviewed for the documentary. And they were like, do you remember this photo being taken? And then they talk about yeah. the photo. They talk about what they did that day. It was just... It was great. It's great. It was great. I'm going to see if it's on DVD. It hit those nostalgic notes. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Excellent. It's, yeah. it's a bit sad as well. T- tell us a bit about the blog, Donald, and kind of how it came to be and whatnot, because it's it's amazing. Like It's it's an incredible... And if People uh, come here to me um, is the name of it, and if, if you're not already aware of it, or if you're not following it, said that right, yeah? Yeah, following yeah. it. If you're not following it. <laughs> Then, then you need to check it out. Like, well, well tell us a little bit. Like, about what's it anyway. the story? Uh, come here to me. It's just something everyone says all the time. If you're standing yeah. in town long enough, you hear it. Yeah, come, come here to me. Come here to me. Yeah. The yeah. But uh, we started in 2009, and things were very bad then. I mean, you forget how bad things were. When we were, recently, I was just rooting through stuff in 2009. And one thing I cut out was a 
a newspaper survey of young people. Mm. And something like 48% of young people in 2009 that they surveyed said, I don't expect to be here in five years. <laughs> so the whole country just felt like yeah. Jesus is, is the pits, isn't it? Uh, we had a lot of friends that were emigrating. A lot of places in town were closing down and hoardings were going up everywhere. And it all felt a little bit grim, 2009. Mm. And we kind of taught young students that, Jesus, maybe this place isn't all that bad. There must be layers here, you know, of, of good stories amidst all this doom and gloom. So it was kind of about trying to do something positive for what was a very negative time and, uh, and, and rescuing these kind of great stories in very familiar places, streets that you walk down all the time where there's not plaques. They put up plaques to big people like Collins, Connolly, Markovich, but they don't put up plaques to the people that make everything move, the ordinary people. Yeah. So we wanted to kind of celebrate the ordinary history of Dublin. It was also, as everything is in this country, somewhat about going to the pub because from the beginning, something we don't really do anymore because it was a bad idea. We used to do a pub crawl every month. Right. And we'd, <laughs> we'd go to five pubs a month, which was only about eight pubs a month, and we'd review them, <laughs> we'd write them up on the blog. And I think we got, we got as far as maybe... 200 pubs but we just thought right fact that we need to just focus on the local history yeah. because that's what people really like and the way people responded to it was brilliant we get emails from australia from america of canada from japan from you name it from people saying expats is it people saying god i'm out of dublin so long but that's brilliant i remember that yeah. or, or my granny's in that picture or all this kind of stuff so it's uh, the love of people the love people have for history in this country is unbelievable yeah unlike in other countries uh, i don't think the british have a sense of that really I went into a pub in Manchester specifically because Karl Marx used to booze there. I went in and my, me and my brother were drinking there. We said to the barman, oh, Karl Marx used to drink here, you know? And he said, what? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So like, he didn't even know. It, like, it just didn't dawn on them that that would be... Whereas in Dublin, there'd be a big picture of Karl Marx yeah. behind the bar. You know, we're very proud of the, the historical... And who was continuity. here? And- in fact, when there's no history, we make it up. Some of the pubs in Temple Bar claim that they're 300 years old. They opened five yeah. years ago. Yeah. So we like the idea that things are old. <laughs> yeah. we, we're obsessed with that kind of historical the lineage. Yeah, authenticity yeah. of it. That's a good thing, I think, mostly. So we're trying yeah. to rescue some stories from the past. That was the, and yeah. when, when you were in Manchester and he, your man had no clue, what, like, how did you react? Did you deep delve? I you know. We just thought, ah, never mind. But in general, I found that there were all these great stories uh, like just Irish little bits of history in Manchester that were just unmarked and unplacked. So in, in, in Dublin, our attitude was, well, if these great things happened here, people should know about them. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the mad stories of suffragettes 100 years ago breaking windows, you know, women demanding the right to vote, doing mm. mad things. Or, or, you know, we looked at things like, <laughs> in the 1911 census, we looked at, because uh, they're all online, you can look at them, they're free. So we yeah. were messing around in them and finding all of the, the atheists and the agnostics in Dublin in 1911, which seemed like a bit of a laugh. You know, all that kind of stuff was easy to do now because the tools are online. Yeah. So I remember one that I read and it blew my mind. It was the, I don't know what you want to call it, a tunnel. I don't, the the hidden tunnel underneath Christchurch. And there was another story about it then about um, a guy who got kind of lost in the crypts and died down there and was left by rats. Horrific stuff, yeah. yeah. But that that. But like when I was reading that, I was like, "Holy, you wouldn't get that in a history book, kind of." Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a bit of an oxymoron. I mean, whatever. Like, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It was just I was like, "This is mental but shit." That's like, something people love. The city below the city. Yes, you never yeah. think of that. You know, like the River Liffey. We all we define ourselves by the river. You're a north sider or a south sider. The River Poddle runs underneath Dublin. We never think about it. So again, that kind of the what, of, the what river? The Poddle. The Poddle. Right, where does and that run? Where the Liffey and the Poddle meet. You can actually, if you look at Bono's, he shall not be named, if you look at Bono's hotel, <laughs> the Clarence, just in front of it, you can see 
in the Liffey Walls, there's a yeah. hole in the wall. That's where the puddle flows into the Liffey. Uh, so these two rivers, you know, one of them we see every day, one of them yeah. we know nothing about because it runs below us through the liberties and the like. Yeah. So uh, the city below the city is always really interested people. Like stories like that, you know, yeah. what, about the, the secret was, tunnels. And there's loads of them. There's, air raid, say, shelter. there's yeah. an air raid shelter in the Marion Square. Yeah, I was amazed you know, by the amount of, of tunnels. Because after because I, I started checking more about it, I was like, hang on, there's one there and it has to be. Yeah. And some of the ones, you're like, this is incredible. Like, the amount, as the city under the city is the best way of putting it, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. So What's under like, Marion Square? You know the, the mound, the big circular mound in the corner of Marion Square? Yeah. Uh, it's, that's a World War II era air raid shelter. I, th- I presume that would have been the government's air raid shelter because it's right beside uh, <laughs> it's right beside Gilder Street. Well, but these are, they put most of the air raid shelters that they put up in Dublin during the war were useless because they were above ground. Yeah, you can kiss your ass goodbye. You know that's that's no use to anyone if, if the bombs are going to fall. But there were underground uh, shelters, and one of them was at Merrion Square, and it's you can still see it there in yeah. the landscape. You know it's incredible. So we did an article on World War Two air raid shelters. Where were they? There's one of them below a, a, a women's clothing shop on, on Grafton Street that's still there. Jesus. So they're, these things, these little things are all across the city and we don't see them, so we don't necessarily know that they're there. It's amazing, though. That's amazing. And, like, and that, that's, that, that's the beauty of a blog like that, and that's the beauty then as well. I know you do be on News Talk quite often doing the, the hidden history section. Mm. Um, and like some of the stuff, even we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, I remember hearing you doing one about Paddy Hitler. Yeah. And that was a while ago, and we, we, we were talking about it in the podcast, and I was like, when I first heard that, I was like, this is bananas. Yeah, yeah, Adolf Hitler's oh. half-brother, yeah. Uh, yeah, Alois Hitler Jr., worked in the Shelburne, of course, and had a son with an Irish woman, Bridget Dowling, who became Paddy Hitler, Yeah, who fought in the Second World War against fascism. It's amazing. It's an incredible great story. You know? And there's, all, there's also in the Phoenix Park, the, the, well, a couple of years ago, I was like, no way, but the tunnel, the train tunnel, yeah. and now that they're reopening they're it. Reopening, yeah. yeah, but... That I was just. But there, isn't there another one? Mental. Isn't there another one underneath the the thing in Marino, or is it the casino? The casino in Marino, where they yeah. tested out guns. Guns, that's it. Yeah, they, during the, they the War of Independence, recently, they? they were uh, they tested out. I'm flying through the water here. Yeah. <laughs> we already pay twice for it. But no, they they uh, they tested out machine guns yeah. under the casino in Marino during the War of Independence. You can go there now. They opened it to the public, and the queues were just incredible. And the same in the Phoenix Park. They opened the magazine fort in Phoenix Park to the public recently for tours, and the queues were just out the door. So people are aware of all these things, and they're kind of obsessed with them in Ireland. Yeah. They need to be told, though, don't they? Yeah. It's like people like you are keeping that stuff going, because they're not going to go looking for it. They need to see it, and they need to be told. And it's there. That it's once, there. once you tell them, they get very curious, and they want to they want more see and more. It, yeah. And this year was great, because I know we're all kind of a bit sick of it now. We don't hear any more about it, but... Uh, one of the good things about the 1916 centenary well, was the, the kids really got into history. Yeah. And they really thought about it. And I remember like trying to explain to kids that 100 years isn't that long ago. Yeah. Because it isn't, you no. know. But uh, they came away, I think, from this year. A whole generation of kids will hopefully be really interested in yeah. it. Were you Wait, happy with how the government uh, represented the 100-year centenary? Mostly, yeah. Not entirely. Mostly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the real heroes of it were just the ordinary communities, you know, like in Coolock, in Cabra, Rap Mines, right across the city, right across social classes, kind of local groups did really, really good stuff. There's loads of plaques and murals and yeah. very varying quali- qualities of murals, but they're everywhere. Our community did a lot of, uh, uh, there's a local women's group 
um, I can't for the life of me remember their name, but they have a specific name. But they did a bit of a sing, uh, a bit of a musical, and they all sang all songs from back then and all. And a plaque again was opened, and the um, the artist, jeez, oh, my mind has gone blank this evening. What's that? You might know the artist's name. He has curly moustache, his glasses. He's socialist. Rob, Bobby Bala. That's his name. Yeah. He opened it. Excellent. Yeah, he opened it. Um, and there was a lot of uh, yeah, 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 all all local murals created by uh, Jason McLean. Um, Open the men's shed was it? Yeah, yeah the men's shed. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. seeing pictures of that. Yeah, so and it was all that vibe was seen across all local communities. It was brilliant. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like this year was the, the, the wall in Glasnevin. I thought it was insane. Glasnevin Cemetery put a wall up. And it lists everyone who died during the Rising in the order that they died day by day. I just thought it was really strange that we would put kind of British soldiers. They deserve a memorial not somewhere else, though. Not in the same place. Not on the same wall. Yeah. Maybe in, like there's a British military cemetery. Put it up there. It's a real Fianna Gael thing to do, I think. Yeah, really. I was kind of belittling, I thought, to the rebels. Yeah. You know, to put all these people on the same wall. But uh, other than that, I thought the communities were great. Some people gave out that there was a lot of, you know, like people reinvent the past to suit what they want now. Yeah. There was definitely a bit of that, I think. You know, every, every speech you heard on a water demo was, oh, James Connolly didn't die for this or Pierce wouldn't want it. They're dead yeah. 100 years. We don't know what they'd want. Yeah. I always find <laughs> yeah. that I always find that hilarious speaking, people speaking of a half of the dead. But that's one of the things that really irks me. Like, Yeah. You heard a lot of it in relation to the Lewis strikes. You heard a lot of uh, Connolly would have supported yeah. this and stuff like you never, that. You never know. It'd be a good drinking game, actually. Every time someone invokes the memory <laughs> of one of the Patriot dead, have a shot. I think you'd be You'd be drunk fairly yeah, quick if you're watching yeah, the doll yeah. most nights. You'd be drunk fairly quick. Yeah. But like, I was on a march a few weeks ago, uh, the, the march for the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. Yeah. And it was a big banner of Countess Markovich. I was thinking, Jesus, I don't, we, we don't know what you think about this. Yeah. Like when she spoke against the treaty in the doll, she said she was against it because it would lead to things like divorce and English immorality. So there were yeah. different times. There were different people. Like that's, yeah, like something like that, especially I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head as well. I mean, she was... A heavily religious person in a time where yeah. religion had a good, good grip of things, you know. I yeah, mean, it shaped your life exactly. So the chances of her being in favour of repealing something against abortion, exactly. We don't know how they'd feel about anything. Yeah. So it's there was a huge amount of oh, they would think this. And Does that also, offend you as a historian? Uh, no, because people engage with history is good anyway, even mm. if and yeah. it'll be useful for historians in a hundred years when they look back on twenties and they, that's scary to think, but they will. Yeah, like someone in a. When in a hundred years, they'll be writing a book about what we just went through. In, yeah. in fifty years, there'll be a book about the hundred anniversary of the rising. There's a book for sale at the minute about the 1966 commemorations. Yeah. So what we're living through and how we interpret things is interesting too. The chocolate bars were unbelievable, weren't they? I mean, one of, what's the name of that fancy chocolate? Uh, you know, the fancy sweet shop in town. I can't think what it's called. They sell old fashioned sweets. Uh, they're I, they're I on Dame one, Street there. Yeah, it's like Mr. Sims old time sweet shop, Something whatever. Like that, yeah. And they're selling chocolate bars for the nineteen sixteen liters. Yeah. So there was all kinds of stuff this year. There was shot glasses. Yeah. James James Connolly was teetotal, he never drank in his life. You could buy a James Connolly shot glass. So it was, <laughs> yeah. it was, you, could, you, could, in. you could get whatever you wanted this year. Yeah. It, it did, yeah. I had a, uh, I don't know if either of us ever been to the Vatican, but uh, anywhere yeah. you go around the Vatican you can get anything. I mean anything with like any Pope's face on it and that's what it reminded me of like kind of walking around and like I mean you're talking fridge magnets 
You're talking shot glasses. I always found that funny. You can get shot glasses with the Pope's face on it. A friend of mine who was a wind-up merchant walked around the Vatican uh, last week wearing a repeal jumper. You know, a black jumper that says repeal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone understood what it meant, but anyway, he did it. That's yeah. gas, isn't it? He would have had the Swiss guard chasing him out if they could have, I think. But it's a, an astonishing area, isn't it, the Vatican? The Vatican's mental. It's like... I'd, I went when I was about 16 and I'd love to go again I think I was too young to actually appreciate the history of it do you know yeah. what I mean I think I was too young to actually realise what I was getting yeah, to see like, like, I, um, I was I, I was about 26 27 I think mm. maybe 24 25 um, you're giving yourself a good span there I can't remember whether <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. befo- I can't remember whether it was before I went to Australia or when I came back from Australia you were in Australia yeah well, I travelled Australia man did you yeah yeah didn't I, chapter 70 did I not no, tell no you previous you have, chap- you've never brought that again. up before Graham being sarcastic the dope um, well 70 chapters he said it in about 63 of them there was uh, there's like I'm not really religious I'm not religious I don't, at all no I'm not religious I don't pray or I don't go to mass but there's something quite I don't know whether the word is spiritual or daunting or whatever yeah. there's something I think it's the history of it more so say, than the spiritualness just the, the fact that it's been there for so long it's there for yeah. so long and you're looking at these monuments and you're looking at these artifacts and there's a stamp a, a date stamp a time stamp on mm. it like there's a Pope's decomposed body there from 1250 you're yeah. like what the hell this is but mental I, I think that yeah. applies to anything that has a, like a, a rich and grey history about it like like I definitely like, like I love ancient history like so walking around Rome I was in awe every yeah, couple of minutes but that thing you were talking about of like not being religious ranting, but even if I went to Christchurch like I try to go into Christchurch every Christmas for the thing to do Handel's Messiah I think it's amazing yeah like, isn't it incredible um, but even at that even I get a kind of little bit of a like oh does it, yeah. you walk in the door you, like I think it's half your brain playing tricks on you because you know there's the whole history element of it and half just because we were brought up in it it's that and it's these buildings and these things are designed to to make you feel in awe of something. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Everything safe about them. Yeah. Yeah. Safe, I get, yeah. I, as I get older, I'm kind of jealous of religious. I used to be very hostile to it all. You know, yeah, as young yeah. people tend to be. You know, that anger in you as a young person. As I get older, I kind of mellow a bit and I wish, God, I wish I had that kind of religious I'm, faith. Really? Yeah, no, I'm very I'm jealous of when you meet these people and they're just... They just feel so yeah. you can, content though. and confident. No, it doesn't. See, I I kind of get what you mean. I talk to people and, like, there, there's a couple of people I know who are very, very Christian. There's people who are like myself and th- they'd be nihilist more than atheist. Like, and then there's guys I know that are into all other sorts of things and I have Muslim friends or whatever. And I'm kind of sitting there and I'm like, I'm very boring. I'm very <laughs> vanilla and plain. I'm just like... No, you're here, you're gone, and that's it. Game that's over. It. Yeah. So do you, you think know? as you get older, you should have a religion to keep you, you a bit? No, I, I mean, I, I remember buying the God delusion as a young fella just to annoy people. You know, Dawkins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never read it. It's bothered to annoy people. I've had this real kind of atheistic thing going on when I was younger. A lot of young people do. It's just well, a, rebu- just a, a teenage isn't rebellious it just thing. A teenage rebellious kick against the bricks. But as I get older, I kind of think, God, isn't it nice that some people have that? I kind of wish I did. My yeah. teenage rebellious phase was against the Brits. <laughs> You're still in it. I'm still in it. <laughs> 32 now, I'm still but in it. I think we're going to, this this generation, that 32 is a, good, is a good year to have it, isn't it? One for every county. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> <Absolutely>. that <laughs> these, these young people that are coming out of the centenary, they're, they're going to have, they're going to hate the Brits forever, aren't they? Mm. You know, one, one, yeah. one young uh, 
was he 14 or 13 the child wrote a letter to the Queen yeah it was in the paper yeah. a while ago yeah, yeah. some kid wrote a letter to the Queen can we have the North back yeah yeah <laughs> so, it was a cute letter though wasn't it <laughs> it was a very cute letter yeah it was very yeah, well, at least he, he, I hope we haven't poisoned the minds of Irish, Irish youth in at least thing. he went to bear with it do you think that happened though I think actually to be honest the kids the children that I spoke to were very affected by one they really respected the idealism of the rebel leaders and they were very taken by them but they're also kind of interested in the, the civilians the women and children and you know the kids a kid in a Dublin school now could probably name a few of the civilians that were killed as well as yeah. the rebels so I think they were very affected by it on a whole but uh, I, yeah I think they probably have a sense of like Republican one thing we did in a project I was involved in is we asked kids what should Ireland look like today Mm. It was amazing reading what they wrote. What did they These write? were like 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds. They're writing about how they wanted you know, refugees to be part of society and treated well and gay rights and equality. And Quite a lot of them actually mentioned the North, which was, I didn't expect that, but yeah. they've obviously picked up on that this year. So uh, I think it installed that kind of sense of something in young people, yeah, which is, which is great in a way. Yeah. The refugee one's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they see that happening and, and, and they... I mean, when you look at that image of the child with the teddy bear beside him on the beach, mm. Alan Curdy, that Alan really Curdy, yeah. registers with a child quicker than an adult. I had yeah. to, like, during that time frame, that period, I had to unfollow a lot of people on Facebook because of their casual, <coughs> what they, they don't see as racial comments, but... Yeah, people sharing Britain First stuff by accident. Uh, sharing... <laughs> Brit- not what they're sharing. The sharing Britain First stuff on Facebook was... Abs- it's incredible. It made me sick. Incredible. And it was some people that were brought up on Republican yeah. ideas and and they're sharing Britain's first without really copping what Britain's first. And also sharing stuff from the Daily Mail and it's like, come Britain on, lads, will you use yeah, your you see, noggins? That's I was gonna say that's the thing. That's people not using their head and it's people who they like to think of a set of ideals, but in reality what they have is opinions. <laughs> And those opinions will flow based on... And they can change, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah you know? you're right. It will um, flow, but it's... I thought some of the opinions um, were a bit dangerous, like... To, how many of them were even here? I mean, it's we, we took flood 20, of 20 Syrian chi- refugees. Like, I haven't seen them. You know, we took like, 20 children in. It was on Vincent Brown the other evening. It was like... Because the, the jungle in Calais is being torn to sunder. It's gone, yeah. It's, it's gone. gone. It's going to yeah. be gone the next 10 days. No, it is gone. No, the operation started on Monday. It's going to take 10 days God. to evacuate it. Oh, they were talking about it during the week. It's, it's done. <laughs> the, all all 5,000 are being d- dispersed. Like. Well, it's not well, what it's One of the dangers of Facebook, though, isn't it? That, you know, people can just share anything. But, but yeah. the, it was the fear of, uh, don't let ISIS in. Like, what does that mean? That's the same thing. People that are doing a runner from ISIS. Yeah. Exactly. You know, Kurdish people are Aleppo ISIS is lying of fire I don't blame them for but running. that's the same way me and my West Brief friends feel about the raw people don't let them in <laughs> you know what I mean but Marky e. Smith from The Fall not the TV show but the band uh, Marky e. Smith from The Fall he said why are they all a uh, million men he said a million men is an army they should stay and fight it's not that easy really, no, is it, no it's, not. it's not <laughs> I don't blame anyone for running away from ISIS no but look it's, at Aleppo as well Bo- bombed to asunder and people are wondering why like oh, stay in your own countries they actually can't their country's being bombed to asunder by the West by air people. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's it'd make you sick. But it's interesting that the kids brought that up in your yeah, in your hundred years. They were concerned year. about refugees. They were concerned about immigrants. That That's amazing. actually heartwarming to, to to hear that. And the kids that we had, some of them, I remember walking into a room and looking at the kids and thinking, God, this is going to be difficult because mm. about a, half the kids in this class aren't Irish. But often it was kids from other parts of the world that really connected with it. So African kids in particular yeah. would see 
kind of parallels with their own history when they were studying something like 1916. Yeah. Uh, Eastern European kids are, always had this real sense of kind of national pride in them, I think, as well. So yeah. it, was, it was incredible that they connected. With, they saw, I suppose, again, what they wanted to see in it. Just, I'm, I'm going to change pace a bit just because something you've said there just triggered a light bulb in my head. And just when you said Eastern European and this whole connection of Ireland, that one of my favourite stories is the story of the Russian crown jewels ending up in Harry... Uh, uh, my brain's gone. Harry Boland's... Harry Boland's uh, Mars attic. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. That is, that is an unbelievable story as well. Yeah, like. and the whole parallels between us and the Russians at the time yeah. were incredible. Yeah. I mean, people that met Vladimir Lenin uh, said that he spoke with a rap mind's accent <laughs> because he, he his English tutor, when Lenin applied to learn English when he was living in Britain, the man who answered the call was a Dubliner. Yeah. And, uh, and, Are and you Le- serious? Lenin spoke English with this very pronounced kind of rap mind. Have you never heard of him? Oh. Yeah, James yeah. Connolly's son, Roddy, met Lennon and he said, Jesus, I can't believe it. He sounds like he's from you know, <laughs> Dublin 4. <laughs> so, wow. But beyond the way people spoke, there was amazing links. I mean, the, only, the first people that recognised the Irish Republic uh, were the Russians after yeah. the Russian Revolution, after the Bolshevik Re- Revolution. And that's 100 years next year since that happened. That's you know, right, yeah, about that. yeah. But yeah, like that, that the, the Russian crown jewels were, were, were given to us as, as I think, a insurance against the loan. That's right. So it's incredible, incredible yeah. stuff, really. I, and I love to... Uh, How did Harry Boland's ma get them? Well, this is, <laughs> this, is the, them? this is the beauty of the story. Now, I, I, I could be wrong because I'm, I'm terrible at remembering the... I'm great at hearing something going, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget keep, about it for nine months and then somebody will say something and be like, come here and I tell you. <laughs> Come here to me and I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, but basically, I think, yeah, you're right. It was put up basically as insurance against a loan. Harry Boland had them. And I think when the, the War of Independence then broke out, and it was something along the lines of he gave them to his ma to mind, and it was kind of like, if something happens to me, do not do anything with these until Dev gets the power, mm, essentially. Mm, mm, Dev got into And now I could, this bit I could be embellishing, but I believe once Dev then got into power, she essentially marched to the doll and was like, I need to speak with Mr. Devin Laird, I have something to show him. And then, and I think then they negotiated or something, originally they were going to sell them and I think the Russians kicked up a bit of force. They're and amazing. And uh, like when the Russian Revolution happened, there was a meeting in Dublin, 10,000 people showed up at it yeah. to support the Russian Revolution. Like when Stalin came to power then, everything kind of went to the yeah, top. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stalin, the rest is history. <laughs> as they say. Yeah, yeah. Stalin was given financial assistance to the IRA in the 30s. Yeah. Like there was a relationship between the IRA and the Soviet Union well into the 20s and 30s. Well, it's amazing stuff. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a, it, it, the most unlikely, because we think about Ireland as this Catholic country and quite conservative in its ways. And then you have the Soviet Union and to have the, any kind of relationship between the two is kind of amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant. Do, just the, um, I wanted to ask you just before I forgot, you know, just going back on the refugee thing, um, do, what does history tell us in Dublin, in in Dublin, Dublin people's kind of response to refugees over the decades? Is it like, because we didn't have many kind of black people, say, in the 70s, the 80s. Then Paul McGrath showed up in 1990. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> wasn't there a, a black guy in Dublin in the 70s who was called the other fella? Because there was Phil in it, and he was the yeah, other fella. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't Phil in it, it was him. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but there was like, but what was the, what were our attitudes? Because we see now, obviously, as Danny said, people just talking about madness. But 
they're there vocally now on a social media platform. But I wonder what yeah. it was like in the 70s and the 80s. And yeah, but you go back even further. I mean, the Jews, there was a whole area of Dublin called yeah. Jerusalem. The area around uh, Portobello in the late 19th century, Jewish people that were fleeing from religious persecution in Eastern Europe started There's about 5,000 of them. I think by 1905, there's about 5,000 Jews in Ireland. Most of them living around that kind of area, Portobello, South Circular Road. And people called it Little Jerusalem. So the people were used to having kind of immigrants. If you go back even further, there was uh, Huguenots, great word that is Huguenots, were like French Protestant refugees that were escaping from France in the 17th century. They they were in Dublin. Yeah, they set up towns then, all down, I think like from Dublin down, Past Newbridge, through Port Arlington is a Huguenot town. Um, yeah, the great names like Latouche. Yeah, like Latouche. I think they, they go down past awfully some of these towns that were set up by um, like. Samuel Becker. Becker was of Huguenot blood. Yeah. Sean Lamas. I mean, Lamas isn't an yeah, Irish exactly, name. Yeah. From Ballybrack. So, Sean Lamas. Yeah. So, like, there was always Huguenots, Jewish migrants, people that were there fleeing from persecution in different mm. places. So, the, there was the public perception welcoming of them? Mostly, I think. Yeah, mostly. There was always a kind of tinge of anti Semitism at different times that yeah. emerged. The money lenders were called the Jew men. And, but, like, we didn't have the kind of anti Semitic movement here in the 30s that they had in Britain. You know, with the black shirts, Mosley, or that they had in, oh, in Germany. Mosley. <laughs> Mosley, yeah. We didn't have, we had the blue shirts, but they were a laughing stock of fascism, really. But uh, yeah, we didn't have that same kind of level of anti Semitic hate that was in other countries. One TD in it all, Oliver J. Flanagan, whose son is a TD, Charlie Flanagan, mm. he said that, oh, what Hitler's done and what the brown shirts have done, the blue shirts will do, root the Jews out of the country. But Jesus. that would have been a... Charlie Flanagan's dad Charlie Flanagan's dad said that. Oh, my God. That, that would have been a, such an co- extreme view. Is that covered by Dahl Privilege, I wonder? Yeah, that would be in the, <laughs> yeah. the, the Oireachtas archive. That would have been such yeah. an extreme view that people would have went, wow. Yeah. You know, wow, imagine saying that. So uh, there was never that popular anti-Semitism that there was in other places. And the refugees, wherever they came from, mostly were always kind of welcome. But after the war, the Second World War, we, 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 I think we disgraced ourselves by not taking in Jewish kids. Yeah. We took in German kids. There's a monument in Stephen's Green to them. I'm sure but, there's uh, a German graveyard up in Glen Cree. I think yeah. that's from World War One, actually, is it? No, I think it's I World think War Two. Could be, I yeah. think it's World War Two. Lads that were interned here during the yeah. war. It's a very spooky place if you ever it, go it's there. It's a weird it's place, yeah. It was there with yeah. school it's before. strange. Yeah. Because yeah. if they're German military headstones. Yeah. So and I, you, if you, you could stumble on a accident and think, where the hell am I? Like, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I think we've always had immigrants here and it's part of what we are. Yeah. The other fella. That's yeah. brilliant. That is, that is brilliant. That's brilliant. But I think, I think he got sick of it, Phil, in it as well. I think he got sick of being asked what it's like. Yeah. You know, there was the NME interview where they said, what's it like being black and Irish? And he said, I feel like a pint of Guinness. Guinness yeah. I think when he said that, he was just saying, I'm sick of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dublin's a great football in town as well. And... Uh, this is probably where you're going to come into your own now, Merlo. <laughs> uh, I'm not mad on the League of Ireland, but... Um, He's uh, ignorant th- to it, Donald. That's what we <laughs> say. He's a Westbury yeah. rugby fan. Oh, yeah. Oh, admittedly. Um, <laughs> I sadly don't think anyone's into the League of Ireland these days. Look at the attendances. I was going to say, the attendances have been... A few weeks ago, there was 380 people at a game in Dublin. Yeah. Pats and but I mean, even, yeah, look, Same Dun- night as Dun- Man United at Liverpool. Pats, uh, Cork, I was going to say Pats. Cork was still going for the league at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we've got a team in the group stages of the Europa League who are doing really, really well. The Dock. In fairness, yeah, the, the story behind that is incredible. It's like, unbelievable, it's but it hasn't had a knock-on effect. Yeah. You know, you're not seeing a higher turnout at games in Dublin. Or yeah. I have a friend who, who lives up in Cabra uh, and goes to see Bose, <laughs> and uh, his his kid said to him recently, "Bose are playing the Dock." It's like, come and get down and watch the Dock. 
Jesus. <laughs> really? His <laughs> kid said? That must be hard to swallow for them. That must but, well, that's but see, funny. that's proven then if, if, if the broadcasters can get behind it and the kids are asking can they go and watch yeah. Dundalk, surely but that's proven something. There's nothing more ridiculous about a kid from Cabra saying let's go and watch Dundalk yeah. than someone in Athlone following Manchester or Liverpool, places yeah. that they've no ties to at all. But uh, I mean, that's an exception. I haven't heard many stories like that. And, you know, if this isn't the time to get behind the league, when is? Yeah. yeah. It's just amazing what Dundalk have done. But uh, I'm amazed every year it just feels to me like you go down to Pats and as that certain generation of fan dies off, you know, every year, there's a minute silence every week in the League of Ireland for someone. Who's replacing them? Yeah. <laughs> Does yeah. it look like anyone is these days? There's a minute silence at every international game. Every international yeah. game has been in silence. Um, my first Rovers game was in 1992, I think. It was against Pats in the RDS. I'm a Shamrock Rovers fan, obviously. And um, second league game, first or second league game of the season, 22,000 people at it. Not even not on the telly or nothing. 22,000 people at a League of Ireland yeah. game. Yeah. What, twi- yeah. Tw- 24? 25 years ago and you know people the 26 Rovers, years ago the Rovers story is amazing because when they lost Milltown that could have been the nail in the coffin mm. you know that, that they were they went around all over the country Rovers played a home game in Cork once mm. that's a yeah. bad thing to wear like they couldn't get a ground in Dublin for a night and they played a home game in Cork but people stuck with them you know to keep Rovers at Milltown and then the 400 club like there mightn't be many people that follow the League of Ireland but the people that do it's like a religious uh, yeah. Family. Yeah. The, the only thing there can sometimes be a bit of snobbery towards people that don't follow it. If someone comes brings their kids down to a game and it's their first game, you don't say, "Oh, where the fuck have you been for the last twenty years?" You say, "Welcome and come again." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's mad. I think I mean, the snobbery is more. Um, what word am I looking for here? Or sentence? It's kind of like where we're not not like where were you in the kind of whole confrontational manner but like I do be my brother is 21 and he was coming to Rovers matches with me all the time when he was 15 16 when they played in Talca um, and then as he got older he just didn't come now he might still come to one or two a season but I'm kind of going come on will you yeah bloody come. it's it's annoying that yeah. fans don't because they say that they're football fans but the majority of the matches that they watch are on the telly and you can't and, really and watch my, a match on the telly, you know, because no. you're only seeing a tiny part of the pitch. And it's, but I just love how, live sport, do you yeah, know what I mean? I love yeah. being there, no matter what sport I love. And if you watch League of Ireland live, it's very difficult then to watch it, watch anything on television, because you're, mm. you're used to seeing the whole field of play, yeah. and how people are moving around. Not that I've often been sober enough at a League of Ireland match to, <laughs> to <laughs> watch these things, but it's, it's just... Uh, it's it's strange that the Irish public haven't connected with it in recent years. Did, did, did Sky Television ruin it? Because the like I talk out there about the twenty two thousand in attendance at that match. Soon after Sky was created and yeah. the Premier League was created, and then year after year after year attendances are gone down. Dominic Bean, who was Brendan's brother, he wrote a memoir growing up in Dublin, which would have been what the thirties and the forties. He says in that book that there was an Everton supporters club in Dublin that people were getting the boat every week or every second week and going over to Liverpool and watching Everton. So it goes back that far. I think wow. it's to do with immigration, you know, because Irish people went to Manchester, Liverpool, They are just going Leeds, off to visit their families. Yes, yeah. Celtic and Glasgow. and You know, people were travelling. and like Soccer was always popular in the north, around kind of Donegal, because people, from, workers from Donegal would go to Glasgow, come back, and they'd bring this back with them. Yeah. So it's, it's always been there, British, the obsession with British football clubs. 
But uh, I mean, you can follow you can follow multiple teams. You can follow Man United and, and go to the hot Bowser Rovers game. Yeah. yeah. What's the fix? Do you think? Is there a fix? The problem is probably the FAI at the moment is just not bothered. F, F all intelligence is, it stands I mean, for. You know, yeah. they just they they are not bothered with it. They don't. Delaney called it the problem child. The League of you said the League of Ireland is our problem child. Yeah, he meant the, that. Yeah. The, 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 that that phrase when you were talking about the domestic competition and you used that phrase, but I mean the fact that. Dundalk got more for a win in the Europa League than they did for winning the league. Yeah, or for a draw. You get more money off a draw. Off a draw. It's amazing, isn't it? Th- like, that in itself <laughs> tells you everything you need to know about it. Like, yeah. You know, and that the FAO need to do something to address it. Yeah, there have been players here that were good enough. Chris Forrester, who played for Pat Skiff Forrester, was a great player. He's off now, I think he's at Peterborough. He's still he's there. He's Peterborough captain. But, I mean, that's someone that should be getting a call-up. Mm. You know, and it would have been good enough to get a call up when he was in, in, in the League of Ireland. Daryl Horgan, I was talking to one of the lads at work today, and we were talking about the upcoming Ireland Austria uh, qualifier, and he's saying, No, I don't like McLean. And I said, Who would you have instead then on the left? And he said, Daryl Horgan. It's like, What? He doesn't even support League of Ireland. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's yeah. he just, he's seen Dundalk over the last, since July in the in the Europa League, and he's saying Daryl Horgan. Your man Bourne would have been the last League of Ireland player to get called up, would he? Um, no, Gary Rogers Dundalk goalkeeper got yeah. called up last month. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. Did he play or was it just on the no, squad? No, we play enough useless friendly so we could put the lads out, put two yeah. or three of them out. And yeah. if kids Rogers has been him. called up for the last eighteen months as part of squads, but he was actually named like August friendly, I think it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it, it's weird. Oh, maybe we're more than being a nation of sports fans. We're probably a nation of event junkies. Events I, junkies. I saw people going off to the. I've a Pat's fan to use the word junkies. I know, but I saw people going off to the Euros <laughs> that have never watched a game of football in their lives. Yeah, but I'd appreciate that because they're using that as their summer holiday as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, no, yeah. Well, I, I think what he's saying is is definitely accurate because if you expand that on football, yeah, the Euros is a great example of people who no interest, but they know there's a big crowd going. It's going to be able to crack. Yeah, I'm up for that. We've been to McGregor fights yeah. in America where. People are going, they've absolutely no interest in the sport. They've no interest in McGregor, but they know it's they'd a party. Be, are they even watching them on fight when it's on? I would say there's some of them. I've actually heard of people who, on the day of the fight, have sold their tickets because Vegas has taken a hold of them and they need oh, the money. So, um, and then, <laughs> like, the, the Rugby World Cup last year, I was over at two of the games and... Like, th- there was people at that, and they were like, oh, no, it's just it's a World Cup, like, and this is probably the closest we're ever going to get. And I'm like, are you joking? 2023, we're going to be hosting this. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it's funny, so. isn't it? But, yeah, I, d- is I event, think... event junkies... Event junkies, put, I think, is a them down very or? good way of No, it. I, I think it's... Look, people earn their money, and they can do whatever they want with yeah. it. Yeah. But, uh, and there's nothing I, wrong with getting involved on an occasion. They just come out of the woodwork. Robbie Keane's last game, I mean, there's an Irish sporting legend, Robbie Keane. Yeah. Uh, and where were the crowds? People should have come That's, out to that. I do, I do not understand, and I'm not saying because I know you're slagging me as a West Britain a rugby fan, but Leinster played Munster in the Viva a couple of weeks after that, and there was more people at that match than there was at somebody like Robbie Keane, like who has been a talisman for this country. Absolutely. And there was more people at the Leinster that testimonial should have been beating people out of that. Yeah. But know. also, lads, it was, we played Oman for the fourth time in three years. Yeah. So why are we playing Oman four yeah. times, John <laughs> Delaney? No, but hang on. This, see, this is the thing. But this is the thing, as far as I'm concerned, like the opposition is the opposition. It doesn't matter who if you're gonna support, you'll support yeah. regardless who hey, they're I playing. Was like, there, you? you know, I mean Euler are playing Canada coming up and I'm gonna go to that. Oh, I was I was that keen though, send off. In fairness, uh, he said he was retiring about five or six days before the match. 
People might have yeah, had plans. I thought there was a healthy crowd. I thought there was a healthy crowd. It filled it, it filled out. It filled out. Yeah. But his cousin wasn't there. Of course, Morrissey is his cousin. Yeah, yeah. He emerged in recent yeah. years. So I was hoping he might make an appearance again. But that was really that was a really mad story too, wasn't yeah. it? When that broke. What the <laughs> yeah. hell? Like that was. That was Did you look into it? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's been a. Morrissey fans, including me, are quite obsessive about him. There's been quite a few biographies I love that have gone back into the family tree and Crumlin and right back into Pierce Street. But uh, he's very proud of his Irish roots. And when I when I heard that there was that connection between him and Robbie Keane, I thought that was brilliant. Look did at you the geek chin. Out, did you look at the chin? They have it. Yeah, you, know, you can tell. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. Good what are his first or their second cousins? Are they? Yeah, yeah. Which would mean that he's also related to uh, Jason Bourne, Jason the League Bourne. of Ireland player. Yeah. So Morrissey, there's a little bit of Morrissey in the League of Ireland. And he's he's <laughs> heaven knows I'm miserable now. Yeah. I've I've, <laughs> I've um, seen Damien Dempsey, Dempsey interviews where he has been in his apartment and uninvited. Morrissey's knocked on his door and they've just gone for points in um, not Grand Social, Crossroad from Grand Social. Oh, the Haypenny Bridge. Yeah, and uh, no, not the Haypenny. And um, it's a workman's. Oh yeah, they've, yeah, and they've yeah, just gone yeah. for drinks for the day in the Workmans. Well, I saw Morrissey a few weeks ago in Manchester, and uh, the opening act was Damien Dempsey. Damien Dempsey, yeah, how which was amazing. Go? Like the, yeah. this Manchester hero, which is what he is. Like he's a man. He's, he is to Manchester what someone like I don't think it's an exaggeration to say someone like Ronnie Drew was. You know, the Smiths were just a massive Manchester yeah. thing. Everyone of a certain age in Manchester loves the Smiths, and he puts on Damien Dempsey. Yeah, <laughs> so loves Damien Dempsey, which is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, he, Dempsey blew them away over there, and it was great to see him playing in front of a crowd of people that didn't know. Him. Yeah, because in Dublin now everyone knows Damien Dempsey. You see, you see him everywhere, but uh, was, the response was incredible. What got you into Morrissey? It was a, the, 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 his oh, writings? Good question. Good question. Definitely wasn't his writings, no. no. The, the fiction book that he wrote, The Less Said the Better, it was fucking terrible. It was, really, oh, it was just, um, it was hard to believe. That I don't someone, mean his writings literature. Okay, I mean, no. I mean his, uh, no. his, his songwriting. It was hard, it was hard, List of the Lost, I think it was called. Actually, it was so bad, I just gave it away to someone. Yeah. <laughs> really? It was hard to believe that someone, you who wrote, someone who wrote such amazing lyrics could write such an awful piece of fiction. But uh, his autobiography was really entertaining. Yeah, really, really funny book. Uh, and yeah, I just love the. I just love the, the people say, "Oh, they're depressing." The people that say the Smiths are depressing are the same people that say Leonard Cohen is depressing. They just don't get it. Yeah, it's actually quite funny. See, I love Leonard Cohen, but I, I like I could I could take or leave the Smiths. I love but the Smiths. I love Leonard Cohen. Like, and people I know that there's people going, "How can you like Leonard Cohen? He talks. He doesn't sing. He talks." But no, yeah, Leonard no. Cohen's great. I love Leonard Cohen. Did yeah. you see um, uh, Morrissey at the point there maybe two years ago and the meet his murder? I was clip? at that gig and yeah. I think that's, look, that's not going to win any converts to the cause, is it? No, because people um, were walking out where I was. Yeah, and he did that in Manchester as well. He plays like, would it be 11, 12 minutes of yeah. slaughterhouse footage? It's, it's slaughterhouse and it's as graphic as you can imagine. Yeah, so it's lads mm. just cutting animals apart and... And yeah, he's making I mean, out that that's what we're going to be eating for a steak dinner that night. Yeah, yeah. no, it's I, I, I just have issues with people who are militant to anything. Yeah, if I'm being honest, like, and he closes the burger vans as well. Even if he yeah. plays a festival, if he plays the biggest festival, in the country, he plays Glastonbury, they'll close the burger vans for the, the year and a half that he's on. So, Jesus and I know people man. who work in Vicar Street, <laughs> and when he plays, when he does the two nights in Vicar Street, um, you know, uh, the bar at the side, it used to be the shelter. That is uh, put up as catering for the two days that he's there, but it's just all 
vegan stuff and vegetarian stuff so members of the band we met members of the band after a vicar street gig one night in the grand social at the after party and uh they were saying oh we had to get out to a burger king (laughs) (laughs) there'll be a a witch hunt to discover who that was yeah but uh no he's a great band boz burr and they're just brilliant musicians yeah and the people that came, some of them kind of, kind of rockabilly bands. He's yeah. just reinvented his sound totally. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the vegetarian. Did you like Imelda May? Vegetarian stuff is mad. I like Imelda May as a person more than I like Imelda May as a musician. Okay. I know that sounds <laughs> terrible, but I'm not really into that kind of music. But she personally seems like a really brilliant person. Yeah. She's There's good for the liberties, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. She really champions that area. And she, you know, she. Uh, it's great to hear someone talking in a Dublin accent in the media in the media because you don't. Yeah. Yeah. There's this mid Atlantic accent in the media that. Comes it's from a real nowhere. liberty's tongue as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It comes, this mid-Atlantic RTA accent, comes from nowhere. Mm. There's no story behind it, no history. It's great to hear someone like Imelda May just speaking the way she speaks to people mm. yeah. every day. Um, just, well, it's popped up a few times, and you mentioned that you used to do kind of pub crawls and that kind of thing, but one of the places that is always great to hear kind of the lore of Dublin or to hear stories, or even just sometimes you just sit in a pub in Dublin and just listen you'll hear something that you love like um, do you have particular spots that you think yeah I like going there like, one pub know? yeah Grogan's Gro- yeah, Grogan's oh, St. William Street say if, still has carpet if I don't go in in three days they'll put, the, they'll put a word out <laughs> see if I'm dead I love that place. and I've sometimes going to have a cup of tea I just really like that pub yeah. you write the carpet my god the carpet yeah. and the art on the walls uh, it's, it's home to Ireland's only rotating art exhibition now that doesn't mean that the pub moves yeah. It means that whenever someone buys something, it comes down and something else goes up. And some mm-hmm. of the art in Grogan's brilliant, and some of the art in Grogan's is terrible. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's so terrible that it's brilliant. Yeah. And Tommy Smith, who runs that place, I mean, he's he's a Dublin institution. It's a great pub. It really is. It's a great, great pub. No music. Yeah. Uh, no television. No radio. They don't take cards. Yeah. It's just like walking back into time. And it's still always chugger block on a yeah. Thursday to Sunday. Yeah, I like to go in there because uh, the way I work, I work kind of a regular hours, so I can be, I can have a day off like during the week. Yeah, and if I had a day off, I'd meet a mate in there, maybe one or two o'clock on a Wednesday, and it's quiet and it's great. Mm. But there's there's regulars, there's like four or five people that are part of the furniture in there. It's mad. I love yeah. that though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, well, you start to think to yourself, fucking, you know, if I'm seeing him here all the time, am I here all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Does he look at me and say he's here all the time? Yeah. But it's, it's one of those great pubs. And in recent years, these craft beer pubs that have popped up, I like the craft beer thing, but they're expensive. Yeah. And the pubs are really bland. All of them, I won't name them because you get in trouble, but all of those craft beer pubs that have popped up in town. Yeah, well, well, I'll name one, Porterhouse. Porterhouse <laughs> okay. No, I it's the winners the ones that are, it, there's no character to them. I don't know. I, I find Porterhouse sometimes a little bit contrived. I don't know yeah. if that's just me. The music coming ruins it. Too yeah. loud. Yeah. Yeah. The music's too loud. But if you look in the walls of the Porterhouse, they have got old Dublin brewery posters and stuff. Mm. They've tried to do something like that. Other pubs, uh, I'll, I'll name one, uh, yeah. on Cable Street there, Black Sheep. I've never actually been in it. Nice beer selection it. in it, but there's nothing on the walls. It's bland, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's no it, character. Yeah. There's no character. Yeah. Grogan's has character in abundance, and that's what yeah. it's all. And toasted sandwiches. Oh, Donahue's is another one I love. Love Donahue's. On Marion Row. Yeah. Yeah, when Rihanna was in town years ago, she went there. Did she? So it's good oh, enough takes, for Rihanna. It's that takes a bit of shine off her for me. Good enough for us all. Which I don't know who's now. The one just up Marion Row there. Near Donny Nesbitt's? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dubliners yeah. are found it there. Yeah. Yeah. It's become a bit touristy, but it's got the best picture I've ever seen in a pub. If, you, if you're if you standing at the bar waiting for a pint, 
there's a picture of George Best and Phil in it together. Yeah, brilliant. that's the goodest photo you're going to get. Oh, man, was it, was it taken there as well? It was taken there. Ah, here. Yeah. And uh, Phil Linnett's wearing this beautiful, like, full white suit. Very dangerous thing to wear in a pub. I mean, wouldn't come out looking, <laughs> wouldn't come out looking as well. And Best is beside him. And in the back bar, there's pictures of people like Christy Moore and Dominic B and everyone who's ever sung in there. That, that's a pub that has a lot of history. Yeah. A lot of history. But do you think there's going to be, like, do you know the way, I often hear my grandfather say about Bean and O'Donoghue and the Dubliners would just be there drinking and then they'd get their instruments out and they do like a they just do a gig I got kicked out for getting my instrument out in a bar before <laughs> <laughs> they just get uh, the instruments out like he's I think he's talking about 70s maybe yeah and they just get them out and next minute you're at a gig on a Tuesday night in O'Donoghue's it all sounds too is, natural to be true doesn't it yeah it does yeah, yeah. I think the is, the, that, the is that art gone in the, in the Irish pubs the, is it biggest, all too organised now? Biggest kind of, pardon French, but kind of bollocksology around Dublin pubs historically is the Ben, ben and Beaton stuff, I think. You know, every mm. pub you go into has a picture of Ben and Beaton on the walls. It's probably banned. <laughs> you know, they yeah. banned them from just about every pub. At one point he was yeah. drinking in Inchicore because he was banned from every pub in town. Yeah. He had to just start moving out and out and out and out and out. Is it because he was just too fond of his drink? He was, well, he was a, a loud mouth. He could cause a row very quickly. Yeah. His tongue could be quite sharp. But uh, every pub in Dublin will have a sign up, Ben and Beaton, drink here. So yeah. we probably banned them. You know, so this, some of this kind of rare old time stuff is kind of like, oh, that's not true. Or, but uh, with the traditional music scene, when you hear, you read about gigs in the sixties and seventies, it sounds like an amazing. It's time. so envious, mm-hmm. though, isn't it? When yeah. you read about them, or my grandfather tells you about them, he would have been, he would have not hung, he would have been in Lou Kelly circles, certainly in the seventies, um, and he was telling me that they'd be drinking and then they'd end up at a house party till Monday morning, just playing yeah. around the fire. It was a great democratic scene. Like if you hung around it, you talk to people that were around the folk scene. If you're in O'Donoghue's or whatever, you could end the back of the session. And I mean, it wasn't, there was no class thing to it. You know, they, yeah. it was often very working class kids. Yeah. You just bought the big jumper and you went along with it. You smoked a lot of weed as well. That was part of it too. Yeah. <laughs> you talk to people about that folk scene. But it sounds like it was amazing. It, it sounds, sounds like so it amazing. That's kind of lost though, is it? Yeah, the, I mean, what, what's what's there? Is there an equivalent now? In there's the, in some the great young scene? folk, but there's a really brilliant night. Uh, the first Sunday of every month. It's either the first Sunday of every month or the last Sunday of every month. I think it's the first. Called the night before Larry got stretched, and it's in the back of the Cobblestone Pub in Smithfield. Oh, Cobblestone, yeah, the singers' it. club, and the singers are predominantly like young people under. I'm talking like under thirty five, and it's amazing when you hear them because you're like, wow, this is what it might have been like mm. in the 60s, that these young people are part of a scene, that they meet up, they sing these songs, uh, and it's as cheap a night as you want it to be. And what brings you there? I like to listen to them. I always sing, but I mean, if you go there, the songs are often songs that were passed down. So someone might sing a song that they learned from someone, maybe from a grandfather or a grandmother. And that, that's great social history, great oral history of those songs. It's very Christy Moore, isn't it? In, yeah. in that he but, just always sings history songs and picks up songs on his way. Chris is a bit of a folk fascist, you know, the way he doesn't let the crowd clap. If they start clapping, he stops. He stops. If they sing along, he stops. Okay, let's get this straight. <laughs> he stops because he gets distracted and forgets the words. You can't have a bad word said about Christy in Her Majesty's <laughs> Presence. He's, he's a bit like Morrissey in that sense, isn't he? Yeah. Like when Christy's playing in Vicar Street, when he's on, the bars are close. Yeah, yeah. I, kind of, I understand it, that, though. I I, understand to be honest, I, I was going to say, I kind of, I've been to too many gigs now where. I'm sitting beside somebody who's on a fucking sponsored walk. Is it because you got older, is it? Do you think? I think it is. I've, I've definitely I've got older. And I, I don't know if it's just... if I like I, Look, have a few drinks by all means, but it's the whole in and out every two minutes thing. 
and then you're up and down, you're up and down, you're in, and like it, it does get to the point for for me at least, and it might be a bit of a buzzkill, I don't know, but. I'm kind of like, would you just fucking sit and enjoy this? Like, yeah. and don't forget, one of the reason why he performs with his eyes closed is because he's no distractions. Yeah, mm. you know, if he sees somebody walking up, or he'll just get distracted, and he'll either start the song again, or he's forgotten the words, or yeah. you know. So See, that's why Stevie Wonder's so good. We, <laughs> yeah. we interviewed Christian compared to me. It's up there for a long time ago now. Amazing, and it was mad. Like his memories of the folk scene in the seventies, but. Uh, the amount of drugs in it was phenomenal yeah. and destroyed people. Like yeah. they, they were really? they were rock and roll. They were the, the Irish equivalent of punk rock was around that scene. Well, he has said in some interviews that he's often gone on the lash from a Tuesday to a Tuesday, and yeah. we're feck all sleep. Like he talked about one uh, a one day festival on one of the islands that went off for six days. Jesus, <laughs> acid. It was all acid. It was just destroying people yeah. mentally yeah. and. But it's amazing that that scene was there, and uh, it was a real. Now it's. People I'd love to be a part of one of those. Well, no, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose it's, it's always when you're reading stuff uh, about. They're all sober now too. Yeah, but it's all about reading uh, st- stories about Donahue's and, and what happened there. It's. I'm just so envious of that time. Yeah. I would have loved to have been there. Like. I'm envious of how affordable it all was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> was like, well, don't forget, you'd get three or four points with a pound. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and they were just shoveling them out, and it was yeah. it was a cheap scene. Getting home was cheaper. Everything was cheaper. Now, like going to a, a session in Dublin, now will cost you. Getting home will cost you. They got to what? Yeah, forty, fifty quid for yeah. us anyway. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, but it, like Christie's sober now. They're all they're all sober. All those veterans yeah. Yeah. that came through the wars. We're uh, sadly running out of time, Donald. But before we, uh, we, we let you go, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, uh, it'd be remiss <laughs> if we didn't bring up the fact that it's Halloween. And uh, you used the term bollocksology earlier on, <laughs> which I love. I love um, Is there a certain amount of bollocksology involved in some of the myths around Dublin and the kind of spookier aspects? Oh, the devil was there himself. The very the fella. The devil was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there is loads. And it's, that's a place that really fascinates me. The Hellfire Hell Club. Club. If you've ever, have you been there? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. It's like it's this. What I mean, it's me. I didn't realise that. It was, like it was basically a bloke's house. Like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. built, built, uh, what, I can't, his name escapes me now, I think it was Connolly, the Speaker of the, the Parliament, but yeah. it was built beyond, to us it's a short journey from the city, yeah, but the when you think about back then, the middle of nowhere, you know, yeah. and when you go up there, uh, when you, where did it get its name from? There was a club called the Hellfire Club that was meeting in, in a pub in Temple Bar, the Eagle, Ta- well, the Eagle Tavern in modern, what's now Temple Bar, and it was just debaucherous stuff, mm. but I, I think, most of it was just drink-related madness and a bit of kind of sexual madness. And they spread rumours about themselves to annoy people and to offend sensibilities of the day. So you talk to people at the Hellfire Club, they said, oh, they used to set fire to cats, they used to set fire to cats and throw them out into the streets. I don't think they did that. I think rumours like that were designed to provoke and mm. to antagonise. Like Richard Chap, one of the leading kind of books was a guy called Richard Chapel Whaley. He knocked around this scene and he called himself Richard Byrne Chapel Whaley. He's like, because I set fire to churches. <laughs> he never did. Yeah. But it was all about putting the fear of God into people, I think. Uh, and that, there's no evidence that they ever actually met up there in the mountains, but that doesn't matter because it's what people remember. Yeah. And it's the folklore. And it is a creepy place when you go there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at the minute, there's a group of lads, archaeologists, working up there in a dig. Seeing that, yeah. Uh, Alberta. Audio guides, they're called. They're on a great online website, but they're, they're up there. 
at the minute doing a dig and they're doing it right through the month of October and there's a reason they're doing it through the month of October oh, of course. Yes. you know because the, yeah. the memory and the folklore is all there but they say the devil appeared up there and everything else mm. the, the most interesting bit of the history of that place for me is in recent times in the 70s and, well not the 70s but in the 80s and early 90s that was like a centre of raving in Dublin yeah. people just go up there and rave for days uh, and there's a great image in one of the Tala local papers it says disgrace that's kids dancing on the roof of the Hellfire Club. Jeez. And I remember looking at that thinking, disgrace. You know, if the lads were alive in the 18th century, they'd probably think that was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it's like, I've never been up there. Is it, it's a structure, isn't it? It's a, it's a ruins. Oh, it's a cottage. Yeah, yeah. It's a cottage. Yeah. It's ruins. So who owned it? Uh, it was built by, uh, I think his name was William Connolly. He was yeah. the speaker of the old parliament in College Green. And after I looked that up, we've, we've written a lot about it on the site. But uh, I think it was it was built as a kind of retreat, a summer house mm. beyond the city. Uh, and if they ever met there at all, we don't know. But they definitely did meet. There was a group of men yeah. calling themselves the Hellfire Club that met in Dublin and that engaged in all kinds of practice. It was a good time to be mad. I mean, there was gangs. like the, There was a gang called the Pinking Dindies. Great name for a gang. They were gone. <laughs> the Pinking Dindies were notorious <laughs> for... Uh, it is now. <laughs> they were led by this guy called Richard Crosby, who was, believe it, this is just mad. He was a balloonist. He was the first hot air balloonist. I've Ireland. heard about this. It's a mad story. I've heard about. Didn't he try to like? Well, obviously, <laughs> he tried to go across. Uh, he failed. He tried it a second time, but he put on too much weight, so he, he couldn't, couldn't go do up it. the second time. Yeah, yeah, I knew I'd heard about this before. This guy Richard Crosby, his gang went around smashing up brothels. So, 18th century Dublin was a mad place. It was a it was a debaucherous yeah. place. There was no police force as we know it today. And if you were rich enough. You could get away with anything. You could buy your way out of anything. You still so, can. You still can, actually. Yeah. It hasn't changed that much. <laughs> so the Hellfire Club is is all about... What's interesting about it isn't what they did or didn't do, but what we've told ourselves they did and what we yeah. remember. Uh, the history of it is as much the folklore as anything. Is there anything in Dublin's history that, in terms of a Halloween sort of theme, a, a scary, spooky kind of, oh, shit kind of stuff, is ranting like, that you can think of or that stands out to you as kind of like if you're asked to define... A sort of unusual Dublin thing that that's the one that would come to mind the scariest thing in the history of Dublin is the price of a pint in Oliver's <laughs> John Gogarty's <laughs> I've seen the receipts yeah I can't uh, argue with that <laughs> no I, I try and avoid that stuff because I, I uh, as I get older I'm more sympathetic to it actually folklore yeah. I used to think oh, folklore is shite folklore is not history get away from folklore but the older I get, the more I think, actually, it doesn't matter if that stuff is true or not. Because as mm. I was saying there, it's about what's remembered yeah. and how stories grow and develop. But uh, I must. one thing I really want to do this year, it was a busy year with the Centenary and having at the time, to, I'd love to go on some of those kind of ghost tours, and tours paranormal yeah. tours. Yeah. It's really interesting how obsessed people are with that it's stuff. It's crazy, yeah. I'd love to do the Dublin bus ghost tour. And there seems to be a, I don't know if you saw the ad a few years ago for that ghost bus on YouTube it was so cringe it was deliberately they have a bit of a laugh with it I think but I I would love to go on one I went to Edinburgh on holidays last year and did the tour there Mm. and they talk about Burke and Hare you know Irish lads that were stealing bodies and selling them to medical professionals that happened in Dublin I think that's that was the Glasnevin yeah I did the Glasnevin tour in the Uskusta they have the towers on the the periphery of the cemetery yeah Yeah. they were put up to stop body Body snatchers I find that absolutely grim yeah like that that probably it's is the, the thing in Dublin history that I think is, is morbid. Yeah, morbid yeah. The College of Surgeons, which is still there today. Trinity College, still there yeah. today. Buying bodies off people that were snatching them out of the ground. Well, yeah. Trinity the, College and the Royal College of Surgeons were buying them? Yeah, were buying them I off. Them. The Sack-em-Ups, they were called, the men that went out to take them. The Sack-em-Ups. Jesus. And if you do the tour of Glasnevin into the museum part of it, they explain how you get a body out of the ground. 
Yeah, was, did it? Oh, horrible. Yeah. Jesus. Horrible stuff. It, it kind of like a... The hook. The hook, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It and they just the dragged the body. Amazing. Um, I never understood when I walked around Glasnevin. I was good friends with Shane McAmosh, who was the resident oh, yeah. historian there for years. Yeah. I never understood why some of the, the, the graves had these kind of cages over them. Ah. Especially to keep the sack-em-ups, to keep the grave diggers. Or the grave re-diggers. The resurrectionists was yeah, the term they used. How do you say that? There's one or two of them. Like, uh, my granny is buried in, in Dean's Grange. And near her, there's one or two that has that. And like that, I've often yeah. just kind of gone, why would you put a cage out? And then I was thinking, maybe it's just keep it tidier. It stops leaves or something. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. But when you're saying that now, I'm like, holy shit, maybe that's what they it keep is. keep the yeah. resurrectionists, <laughs> as they were called. Another, I am the resurrection. Another fantastic Zombie prison there. as well, yeah. Um, your historian friend. Uh, Shane Shane McAmosh yeah yeah, the late great uh, One Million Dubliners unbelievable that was one of the best pieces of TV I've seen the last 10 years I saw that in the IFI in Temple Bar and Shane was dead by then of course but uh, not everyone in the audience knew that and when the film ended they hit you at the end like a ton of bricks Yeah. Uh, when the credits began to roll an old man in the back of the cinema just went Fucking hell! Yeah, <laughs> really. But I that, laughed, you know, because I, yeah. But that was just the perfect response. Fucking hell! It just yeah. like hit you at the very end. It do, it, it, but, the way uh, that was done, everything about that one million dubliners was absolutely beautifully done. Like yeah. it was incredible. Yeah. It was that just, the Arthur Fields documentaries are. It was just unbelievable. Brilliant. And the, the boys digging the graves and the lads in the crematorium and yeah. the whole process, you know, was, yeah. was there. All of life, all of li- human life is here, as they say. Yeah. He was actually brilliant. from around here as well. Mm. Yeah, um, you d- just briefly, you did something on Nelson's pillar. How did you feel when it was the spire went up there? Uh, the the man who blew up the pillar, Liam Sutcliffe, he was on O'Connell Street on the day the spire went up, and according to the newspapers, he said, "Ah, it's better than the last thing." Anyway, <laughs> but talking to him now, he doesn't like it, and I think that's a, a lot of people are like that. The, the longer it's there, the more I go off it. I think it hasn't yeah. aged well. No. Uh, it's it's obviously it's out of portion with everything, but it, it just looks tacky to me now. Or I don't. I, it's one of those things. I just I don't understand it. As you said, when you compare it to everything else around it, it does not fit. Mm. It just does not. Yeah, fit. we need a, 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 the idea of a viewing platform. Like they tell the tourists, go out to the Guinness Brewery. The best view of Dublin is here. Yeah. Best view of what? Like best view of the Liberties. Yeah. Like there's no good view unless you get up to the top of Liberty Hall. Mm. I've been lucky enough to blag my way up there. If you get up to the roof of Liberty Hall. That's a great view. Yeah. But uh, we that's don't have... open to the public, though. It's not. No, you no. have to kind of try your luck with the with the, the bouncers there. So what would they? What should they have put there instead of the Some park? kind of viewing platform, I think, in the centre of the street would be great. Yeah. We could have even had a viewing platform with a, a, a telescope where Nelson's eye level would have been. Yeah. You know, you could see that, what would have been his idea. view. That would have yeah. been great. But uh, we don't have that. And in fair, I, I'm glad we never built up, actually. I like the fact we're not a city mm. of massive high buildings. But if we need to have one large structure in the city yeah uh, it shouldn't be the spire of light no I'm, it costs something like four million quid Jesus and the rest to maintain it yeah and it's, it's the light oh there is a light there is a light that never goes out the light went out yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but sure didn't isn't Bono and Co not making some what are are they not making a watchtower no down um, the Docklands I think they just they're building some sort of office come apartment block but, but it's not a public thing rather it'll have an open to the public observation deck that you can look down the Liffey back towards town I've no idea I but I won't give him any money because it's bottom yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't need any money <laughs> yeah um, before we let you go the walking tours that you do 
Yeah, um, they're great because I, I, when you work on the streets, anything can happen. Yeah. You know, and people in Dublin are, are erratic and unpredictable. <laughs> and sometimes that's good. You know, I've had people stop and they go, I'll sing a song about that now. And they'll sing a song. It's just, where else in the world would that happen? Yeah. That you're giving it to her. An owl lad comes along, stops and listens, and then sings a song. It's not so much fun when it's someone trying to make a handbag or whatever. That happens too. Mm. But uh, working on the streets is, is, is great crack. And at the minute, I've, I'm doing a kind of nine to five with the council on something. So I'm not, I'm not on the streets as much. But I do enjoy the, the, the mad interaction yeah. with the city and the people. So when do you do it? Uh, at the minute, just Saturday and Sunday mornings, with, of just Stephen's Green Park okay. with the Little Museum in Dublin. Stephen's Green, though, is, is, is there's no traffic lights, it's a control space, yeah. it's quiet at that time. When you're walking down O'Connell Street, Jesus, anything can happen. It's great. Yeah. I actually get, I, I like that. I like the hecklers. Yeah, oh, fucking know what you're on about. <laughs> <laughs> Lawyer, tell them about them on the holes. <laughs> you, know, you, you get it all. And I kind of like that. I think it's. it's uh, Tourists get a buzz off it as well. Yeah, the bullet yeah. holes. Well, people oh, stop. I'll stop. Okay. Bullet holes. Tell them about that bullet holes. <laughs> it's it's great, and the fact that people uh, stop you, interrupt you, and make a point—that's great as well. Because people feel that they own the sea. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That you're just the guide, but they own the place. Yeah. And I like that in a sense that people interrupt, interrupt you, and interact with you. But uh, it's in recent years, it's gone a bit mad. If you walk through town, it's just all these free tours. You probably see them everywhere. Yeah, lads in yellow jackets and purple jackets and red jackets. They're all doing tours for tips. But there was a time when there might be ten guides and you all knew each other, and it was it was a, 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 a small smaller industry than it is now. But yeah, the humour of the locals is great. So Saturday and Sunday at Stephen's Green Park. Stephen's Green it? Park. And where do you, where do you assemble for people? We go to the go? little. We start in the little museum of Dublin. Where's that? Uh, the Little Museum is on St. Stephen's Green. It's kind of halfway between the Shelburne Hotel on one side and the shopping centre on the other. Okay. Yeah. So we're halfway between the two. And it's all about 20th century Dublin. And nearly everything in the museum was donated by the people of Dublin. Yeah. Really mad stuff came into us. Is all that wheelchair accessible? This is the worst thing about it. Uh, it's not, because it's an 18th century Georgian home. Okay. So we're hoping to expand into the neighbouring building. That will be happening in next year or in the following year, all going well financially. And that will give us more room to play with. Lovely. We had an exhibition on Christy Brown in the exhibition, in the, in the, in the museum, yeah. uh, two years ago. And as one newspaper rightly pointed out... I, I couldn't go. It was I quite ironic to, to have yeah, an exhibition yeah. about Christy Brown in a building that wasn't wheelchair accessible. Mm-hmm. But with time, we hope we can... Another you know, fantastic Dubliner. Yeah, Christy yeah. Brown. A remarkable figure. Oh my God. And from that, living in that same district of the city that so much came from, living in Crumlin, moved out, shipped out to Crumlin, as the Beatons were, you know, Phil Linnett was from that part of the world as well. It produced incredible people, that area. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Brendan Behan said, there's no such thing as suburbia, there's only Siberia. <laughs> lumped them out in Crumlin and they never heard from again. Yeah. But people like, uh, people like Behan and, and, and himself, Christy, they all came from that. Christy's writings are unbelievable. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Really insightful, really funny. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think my left foot, the, the film, the adaption that they did was so good as well. Yeah. They really captured it. It's my favourite Irish film. My favourite film ever. What, yeah, but what? Christy Fagan who plays for St. Pat's, you know, whenever uh, yeah. whenever we get a penalty, I always shout, let Christy take it. <laughs> <laughs> Still gets a laugh. <laughs> what time would somebody need to be there to go on one of these weekend walking tours? We leave at half 11, so get there about, about 11, quarter past 11. Uh, we I do a quick tour. I could do the tour, though. You can do the tour at the museum at yeah. 11. Yeah. Uh, and then my walk's at half 11. I could do the walk. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. of course. 
but you're right. Wheel, I mean, any wheelchair user. Can whenever, whenever people come and walk into areas of the city in general in wheelchairs, you do think, Jesus, access in the city isn't as good as it could as it should be. No, it's yes. brutal. Yeah. It really lags behind in a lot of places. And I mean, it's manageable for me, but it is brutal for other wheelchair users that might need a hand or whatever. Like curbs are awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah somewhere like Temple Bar is just oh, no go, no go. Cobblestones must be the devil, are they? Devil. Yeah. They're no go. And zones. shops putting out these sandwich board hoardings Awful. on the paths. Yeah. Like it's just there's no so shop. One of my yeah, uh, one of the shops I like to frequent in Temple Bar, Rebirth the Cool. Great shop, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um he now he goes out arm and a leg, no pun intended to help me. Um he scoots me up and all, but it's just Eamon in there. Eamon, yeah. absolute saint of a man. Um, but his kind of sandwich board is just there in the new premises and there's like two steps up but he fucking goes above and beyond for me he actually gave me a, a Fred Perry one time as a Christmas present wow. when I was there nice one. yeah I was like uh, wow. I was like jeez oh, Eamon I was looking for the black and white one and he's like oh, I have none left on, on, on in, like out, uh, in the shop and then he goes hold on I might have one that didn't fit me and he gets it and he goes yeah that didn't fit me I ordered it online and I said, oh, all right, I'll try it on. I said, how much, you, how much for that? And he's like, I oh, know, Christmas present, happy Christmas. Brilliant. I was like, amen, gent. you gent. gent. Isn't it great that all that stuff, all the stuff he sells is back? Yeah, yeah. That you walk around town and kids are dressing yeah. like that. If, if you buy a... My dad's a mod, like. Yeah. He's a ska. What a timeless scene as well. Yeah, but yeah. If you buy a... Gary O'Neill wrote a great book called Where Were You? It's about the history of youth fashion. Like Arthur Fields, like that book. It's all photos. Right. And these are photos of people walking through Dublin in the 60s, 70s, 80s. It's, street, it's called Youth Fashion in Dublin. 1950 to yesterday. Yeah. And uh, you look at the 70s and 80s and you go, wow, that's all back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fred Perry's back. Doc Martin's yeah. back. And uh, it's... It's taking a time. It's a timeless fashion, isn't it? Yeah, it's very smooth. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. the Cool is a really great shop. It's great to see them doing well. It is two um, shops now he has. Donald, if people want to follow you or they want to hear more from the Come Here to Me blog, where can they check things out? Uh, well, we're at comehertome.com, mm-hmm. uh, and on the Twitter machine, it's at chtm Dublin. And we recently went on the Instagram. I've, I've, Instagram, we were told, is really good for kind of yeah. blogs like us because it's a kind of visual. You yeah. know, if you see something, mm-hmm. you can just snap it and throw it up. So uh, we're uh, CHTM Dublin on that as well. CHTM so, Dublin. Yeah, so, so that's the thing with social media. If you don't keep up, it moves without you. That's yeah. it. So we've been told to join Instagram. <laughs> we have. It doesn't wait for anybody. No. <laughs> um, Donald, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. It really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I was delighted. Beautiful. And um, the, the blog is absolutely amazing. So congratulations oh, on that, cheers, man. Cheers. Um, and it's great to, to hear the bits on news. I'm delighted they brought you along onto the, the the new evening slot. Yeah, I've moved on to Drive. Yeah, Chris Dunahoo. Drive. That's so what they call it. Yeah. Tuesday mornings were difficult. You know, <laughs> Ivan, Ivan Yates was difficult. But, <laughs> I'd uh, say he was. Tuesday <laughs> afternoon is. Well, Ivan said one morning. Paul Williams he said, now, for Jesus' sake. Mm. One morning on air, he said it's it's so cold out there. The politicians have their hands in their own pockets. <laughs> I thought that was quite ironic. Really. Says the old politician. Uh, indeed. Yeah, so, so, so I've made the leap over to drive uh, and I'm quite happy there. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I love the hidden history section, so keep it up anyway. But um, that's it for this week, lads. Um, don't forget to check out FitzpatrickCastle.com. Check it out. Make sure to pop up and have a boy tea or a point or whatever the case may be up here. Great spot and uh, great people. 
Graham is at Mergamania. I'm at Dan Joe Murray. The podcast is at WTS Pod, or you can check out Facebook.com forward slash WTS Pod Ireland. iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, anywhere and everywhere there's a podcast, lad. WTS Pod. Hit the subscribe button, give us now a like, review, whatever the case may be. Uh, share the love. Great people all together, especially. He's doing it without, he's, you're doing it, you've done it without taking a breath. I oh, know, I've managed to do it this <laughs> I week. I love it. I was on a flow and you've cut me off. No, I had to, man, because you've done it. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, especially our expat listeners who hopefully will have enjoyed some of the stories of Dublin and whatnot. Yeah, and any expat listener, Google Arthur Fields and try oh, and get that. Yeah. Try and get, uh, even, it's a fantastic Christmas present to get his book. Man or, on the Bridge. Man on the Bridge or yeah. uh, try and watch his documentary unbelievable yep and um, don't forget to check out Paul Howard's new book as well I heard the news today oh boy the story of Tara Brown but that's it for this week Graham until next week clear eyes full hearts can't lose